This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Oh, man, get that guy against it. Crush it like Quint. That was a great spot. Thank you, Will, once again. If you would like to follow him, he's at Birchie underscore kid. Does some great writing about baseball. Loves his Detroit Lions as well. I mean, he's doing a great job covering them. Moved out there a little while ago, but also has a fondness for New England. He sees it going the Patriot way on Sunday. I think I might as well. We'll get to that later on when we preview and bring in Shime Time and Jumbo to the program. But right now, we throw it to the local perspective. Our guy Andy Hart had a chance earlier this week to catch up with one of the one of the stars of the Patriots media cartel, if you will. He's as nice as he is smart, as he is handsome. Everything he does, he just does so well. You guys see him all over NBC Sports Boston. You read his work at NBCSportsBoston.com. Does a great job on the Patriots Talk podcast, as well as his own Next Pats podcast. Here he is, Andy Hart, with the one and the only Phil Perry. Back for another Gillette Stadium edition of the Six Rings podcast. And each and every week now during the season, we speak to a special beat reporter from here in New England and Foxborough. And today is maybe the most special of all, a master of all mediums covering the Patriots, podcasting, digital, anything you want to read, write, hear, or see. And he's Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston. So, Phil, first and foremost, welcome to Six Rings. Thank you for having me. What an intro. Special. Well, you are special in your own way. And I think your greatest achievement, quite frankly, is uh, working so closely with Tom Curran and not going postal or whatever we call it these days. Um, But I'm going to jump right in with something that's actually rooted in a TV appearance I did with Tom Curran. Second reference in under a minute for TC. Uh, In the next six weeks of the supposed soft spot of the Patriots schedule, beginning with the Lions, going through the Browns and the Bears and the Jets twice and the Colts, more likely that the New England Patriots go 6-0 and or 0-6. And, and yes, this is an A-B. You have to pick one. You can't tell me 3-3, three 4-2, and 6-0 three, and and or 0-6. There's no way they go 0-6. No shot. Two games against the Jets. I think the Jets are still kind of a joke. I know they've got two wins. They've got more wins than you do. You're in last place. I get it. I don't believe. So I'm going to say 6-0. and Is that what Curran said? That is what Tom Curran said. It's what Tom Giles said as well. He actually kind of brought it up. He started the debate being the homer of the segment we talked about. Um, I disagree. I go 0-6. Now, again, we know neither is probably all that likely. 6-0, and I think people are pulling from last year in a similar spot when you were 1-3, and 2-4, and four, then went on a run that had them as the number one seed and the, the Super Bowl contender. And we may even be getting off on that foot against the Lions because we know that one of the characteristics of last year's winning streak was the other team didn't have some of their best players. And this week, certainly, Amon St. Brown and Swift are both out slash questionable. Who knows? So you could face a less than 
quote-unquote Lions team. My point would be, first and foremost, you're one and three. So it is hard for a one and three team to project six wins in a row. You just want one win. Um, you're probably going to start Bailey Zappi, fourth round pick, for the first time in his NFL career. And quite frankly, the soft part of the schedule may not be quite as soft as some people once saw it with the Lions. Feisty Lions score a lot of points, give up a lot of points. Um, the Browns, Jacoby Brissett keeps them afloat. Zach Wilson, healthy making plays-ish, I'll give them credit. Um, the Colts, who knows what the Colts are in a Matt Ryan, but I I just, the way the Patriots are playing right now, it's hard for me to pick a win streak of six games. And I also go back to the old, it's easier to lose than it is to win. <laughs> like, you can find ways to lose. Um, so I guess that's where I'm from. But you apparently are more optimistic than I am heading out of the one and three stretch. So I'm going to ask you the question. We did this last year. I feel like it's like Groundhog Day year to year. Are they better than their one and three record? This is what you get when you're covering a team that is relatively mediocre. The are they better than their record? What's the path to the postseason? That's coming soon. Just prepare for that. We know that's coming. Are they better than their one and three record? No, I wouldn't say that. I do think they would have won that game in Green Bay if it had been their actual starting quarterback at quarterback as opposed to the third string guy. So I guess there's an argument to be made there. I still think that this was the expected outcome through four games. It actually is exactly how I foresaw it. I had to project every single game. Maybe you had to do this too for your website, every single game, all 17. And I had them one and three to finish the first four. And I had them with nine wins at the end of the year with a couple of games at the very end being the difference between making the playoffs and not. And I think your point about the schedule changing already just through four weeks is a great one because the Browns to me are better than I expected with Jacoby Brissett. Good on him. The Colts are worse than I expected with Matt Ryan. The Raiders, I think aren't as bad as people think because two of their losses came down to essentially two point conversions, which to me are kind of coin flips anyway. But I think people are looking at that game at the end of the season now and saying, hey, that's that, that didn't look like a winnable game before the year started, but now. So they are where I thought they would be. So I can't really sit here and say a one and three, they're much better than, they, than their record would suggest. Although I would say this, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. Offensively, they are more effective than I thought they would be. I hesitate to give Matt Patricia full credit because I think there are things that he is not done with Mac Jones that could have made them even better. That would have been relatively simple additions or calls or concepts to lean on, what have you. But they've been much better than I think we all thought in the summer, especially in the run game. They are, by a lot of different metrics, the most efficient running team in the league. And nobody saw that coming in the summer. They were awful with the run game. So there is some positive there, even though they're one and three. I agree with you offensively, and I think unbeknownst to us, we played a role in that because I think we did set a low bar reporting just what we saw from the practice field. Very low bar. But I think because I've heard even even especially the first couple weeks listening to national reporters or national podcasts, it was like, oh, this is not as bad as I was led to believe by the New England media. Yeah, because it's not as bad as we were led to believe by our eyes on the practice field. Um, so I do think there's some truth to that. I, I am all in on Ramondre Stevenson. I think Ramondre Stevenson could be a star. Now, I don't think he'll be a star this year, 
because I think you probably want to maintain your two-headed back nature um, because I think you're going to have to lean on the running game. And if you can give 200-ish carries to two different guys instead of trying to play the, you know, Derrick Henry 400 carry, let's just grind the hell out of this guy game, that's probably long-term a better option, especially for Stevenson, who will become your lead back next year you want for the long haul. But in terms of – because I think it's funny. I was with you, one and three, nine and eight. And I saw Vegas this week, at least the Vegas numbers I saw, finally dropped their win total from eight and a half to seven and a half. It didn't happen as of as of uh, last week. It took this loss, the one and three start, for them to drop a game off the eight and a half win total. So I'm wondering if you were at one and three, and now they have Bailey Zappi for the foreseeable future, a week, a couple weeks, who knows, Max on the practice field but doesn't look great kind of thing. Do you do you alter your expectations for this team over the long haul, or are you still at nine wins? The zappy thing throws a wrench into my <laughs> predictions, I think, a little bit, because I know he showed great poise. I will give him credit for that. He was prepared to run the plays that they gave him to run, which were not many probably, but he was ready for those. There weren't a lot of huge, obvious mental errors there, so good for him. He, he checked all those boxes. I still don't think he's a quarterback that you're going to be able to win many games with. If you have to have him play, not only this week against the Lions, but maybe next week against the Browns, like these could sort of snowball on you pretty quickly because I think he's not only limited in terms of the number of plays that he'll be able to run, even if he gets a full week of starters reps, he's just physically limited to me. He's not as mobile as Mac Jones. His arm is not as strong as either Mac Jones or Brian Hoyer, in my opinion. And I think we saw that. There were a couple throws on the run. There was one, I think, to maybe to Aguilar or to Henry. I can't remember now. Uh, along the right sideline where he's sprinting to his right, and he spiked it about 10 yards in front of the guy. I mean, that's just – and that was the rap on him coming out of college was that really smart, tough, knows his offense inside and out, borderline NFL caliber arm. So – if he has to play multiple games, I'm going to say that my total would have to drop. But can he beat the Lions? The Lions are a fun team, Andy. They're fun because they're going to light up the scoreboard on both ends. And I wonder if they're so bad defensively, the Patriots can just run all over them and win this game that way by hopefully getting a few stops of their own. So I still don't know where I'm picking this game. I haven't decided yet. It could be that I end up picking the Lions, though, in this game, which I think would have to drop my season-long win total down to eight. Absolutely. Um, I'm kind of with you. I'm not sure who I'm picking, but if I think the Lions win, or, or hell, if the Lions just win, I don't know that the path to nine and eight is is really there. Although, you know, who knows? We, we get caught up in these one-month periods of the NFL where we think we know you know the old Belichick okay we're four games in what do we know and we think we know and then an injury happens or just momentum changes and we get a couple months away and, and we look on, back on that and kind of wonder what we were thinking at the time um, the the topic of the week one of them which I am actually on the positive side of so I'm interested to see where you lie moral victories which I'm going to take a word that you used previously today mediocre uh, I think mediocre and bad teams can absolutely have moral victories. I think good teams, which Patriots fans saw for the better part of two decades and rightfully 
um, built up a certain swagger and a distaste for things of that nature, which I think was fueled by their head coach and their quarterback in that time period. Moral victories weren't really a thing. You're not that anymore. You're a mediocre team. Right now, you're a last place team. You're a bad team based on your record. I absolutely think this was a moral victory in Green Bay. When you look at Zappi having to play without his number one receiver in Jacoby Myers, second week in a row, without arguably your best defensive lineman, who your run defense has fallen off the map since he got hurt. The second half against Baltimore and this week against Green Bay, your run defense has looked like it doesn't have one of its better players out there. You're without your number one corner. I mean, we're calling Jalen Mills your number one corner, I think, over the last year. So without all those things to take Aaron Rodgers to overtime, and I'm not a homer. I think Aaron Rodgers could have blown you out in the first half. He just missed throws. Flat out, one of the best of all time, missed throws. But I think it's okay with Bailey Zappi as your quarterback to kind of feel good. And you mentioned it, his comportment. Uh, you know, like he handled, I would say, from the first quarter Sunday through Monday afternoon, which I do include in, in our radio station, WEEI. I thought he handled himself like a professional, like he, he didn't seem scared or timid. And, and I think it's okay to feel good about that. The problem is you kind of pack that away on Monday. Like when he finishes his um, Merloni Fourier and Mego interview, you pack that away. So where do you stand on the moral victory? Was it a moral victory? Are you allowed to have moral victories in New England? Because it's Boston. If you don't have a ring, it don't mean a thing around here. Um, and, and can you build off what you did on Sunday? funny for the guy with the podcast named after the championship rings that you would make the ring comment there about how no moral victories if you you know some people believe that i suggested that this is how cynical they they sort of perceive me that i suggested six rings putting a a final stamp on the patriots like they have six rings we can permanently name a podcast that and we won't have to change it we've built out a 10-year plan for this podcast we won't need to change the name. This isn't Bill Belichick's boat. We're not repainting it, the number of rings, and renaming it. So there are people that believe that. But where do you fall on this week, the moral victory, and the building from this? There, I think there are moral victories for sure. I think this was one. I was stunned, honestly, after the game to hear players. Kendrick Bourne explicitly said that it was a moral victory. But even guys that have been here longer that have seen a lot of winning, like Matthew Slater, say, you know, usually we don't do moral victories around here. Something to that effect. But then going on to say, I have i can't tell you the last time I've been as proud of a team as I am of this one tonight. That blew me away. This guy won a Super Bowl just a few years ago. And after a loss in Green Bay, he's looking at the room and saying, man, am I proud of these guys. So I think they believe there are moral victories. I do believe this was one. I will push back, though. I think good teams can have moral victories, too. 2001, Patriots here lose to the St. Louis Rams. Very, you know, amazing team at the time. Greatest show on turf. But they had started to to build something, to show some promise, and they took that team to the brink. They lost. But I think a lot of people looked at it and said, man, these guys are, are actually kind of legit. And maybe it gave them some confidence too. I also would say there was a moral victory built into what was an absolute bludgeoning in 2014 in Kansas City, where the second half of that game... Jimmy Garoppolo comes in, actually moves the ball a little bit. Rob Gronkowski, I think, goes in for a touchdown. He's fighting through contact. And Bill Belichick talked about the fact that they competed a lot like what we heard in Green Bay the other night. The competition level of the team in a loss was admirable. And so 
I think you can have those even for good teams. I don't know how much this team is going to be able to build off of theirs in week four because I don't think this team is that good. I don't think the coaching staff is nearly as good as it was in those years. I don't, even though they're led by a great, great coach, I don't think the talent is there for them to be able to, to certainly push to where those teams got winning Super Bowls, but even to necessarily make a run. I'm just not sure it's that kind of year for them. I think it's a year where they sniff the postseason. They're a pretty good team, but I don't necessarily think this is going to be their launching point. Uh, you and I could not be more like-minded. That's actually a column I posted on WEEI this week, and I use those two examples. Those two, and the the 2001 example would be closer to this year for me because I don't think at that point you expected that to be a Super Bowl team in the transition from from Bledsoe to Brady, and even once he settled in, it's like, oh, this is a nice story. They're competitive, but are they really a Super Bowl team? And then they ended up. You know, one of the great stories, upsets in, in sports history, you know, and, and I'd be intrigued if we could find out from Bill, because you're right. We learned like we learned about those later that, oh, once you win the Super Bowl, I can tell you I learned something that night in that loss. I wish Bill would tell us this week, because that's my point. Like, I think this team right now has proven its metal. Like, I think you can kind of check that off in terms of the Belichickian I won't know what kind of team I have for four, five, six games. No, I think your team has balls and grit to go the Kevin Garnett route. But I don't know if they're good enough. And it doesn't matter. Like, sometimes you can try really hard, and you want to win, and you are invested, and you're resilient, and you're not good enough. You don't have a good enough quarterback. You don't have enough playmakers on either side of the ball. And that certainly could be where this team ends up. But I also think from a coaching perspective, if you can check off that box, let's go back to the 9 I just can't get this team to do what I want it to do. I don't think Bill will lament this team's um, effort or, or anything of that nature. If he's lamenting things in December, I think it's what you and I are talking about. Boy, we just didn't really have the horses. I think what it's going to come down to, honestly, for this team this year is going to be the coaching. I really think that they probably – Can I pause you quick? When you say coaching, I'm going to need you to clarify and specify, please. Which coaching? Head coaching? Uh, play calling coaching on one side of the ball or the other? Can, can I get you to zero in a little bit on that? Specifically, Matt Patricia. That's what I wanted. The offensive play calling. I, I think, honestly, it's going to come down to him. And I feel – I don't feel bad. I don't feel bad for the guys making a fine living based on the job that he had previously. And now he's here working in a place where he wants to be. But he was sort of thrust into this borderline impossible for somebody with his background kind of situation. Where I'm sure he – you know, I don't know. I shouldn't say that. I wonder how much pushback he provided, if any, when it was brought to him that he might be both the offensive coordinator and the play caller here. Because I think someone with the requisite amount of humility and self-awareness would say, feels like a lot, Bill. I'm not sure that this is going to be a great idea. But, but wouldn't you think, and I agree with you, I've discussed this with people, like, I don't blame Matt. Except, you're right, he did take the job. He accepted the role. But I also think if a guy who is, A, your mentor and your pal and you really, but also seen as Aaron Rodgers just told us, like, that's the great, that's a legend. That's the greatest coach in football history. If the greatest coach in football history says you can do this, don't you say, he knows more than I do. He's seen more football than I do. I guess this will work. Sure. But Matt Patricia also has to know this doesn't happen. Never mind for someone who doesn't have any experience in either of the two roles that we're talking about here. 
So I look at him, though, and I say, this season could go almost exactly the way it did. It went last season, where, again, one and three start, soft middle of the schedule, however we feel about these teams individually now, where you rack up a bunch of wins. Suddenly, you're looking like one of the best teams in your conference, potentially. And then you have to figure out a way to, with that grit, with those balls that you described, sneak into the postseason. And then from there, we'll see. But for all of that to happen, he is really the one variable. It's McDaniels out. It's Patricia in. I think they're actually more talented. We're talking about how they probably aren't talented enough to make a deep, deep run. But I think they're more talented than they were last year, especially at receiver. That, to me, is the second most important position in football at least now, in 2022, after quarterback. It's corner. Or, sorry, it's receiver. Corner probably soon thereafter. Yep. And tackle. And so, I think they're better there. And I think they are hoping that they're set up for the kind of run they went on last year. I just don't know if Patricia is up to that task the way McDaniels was last year. And obviously, tying into that, and we'll get you out of here on this, is Mac Jones. And I want to, since we're sort of doing a state of the Patriots after four games discussion here, Mac Jones' development, and I know people have talked about progressing or regressing. I want to focus more on durability, health, because we had twice in a three-game span, he couldn't go to the post-game podium, right? Couldn't fulfill those duties on that day because he was getting x-rayed. Because he had, one happened to be a minor injury, I guess we'll call it, where he didn't feel right, had to get it looked at. The other is a more significant injury that's costing him the first games of his career, not just here, but ever, he said, as a as a quarterback. He'd never missed time before. And I know we went down this road like with a Jimmy Garoppolo in a short period of time. You have multiple injuries. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The really great quarterbacks in this league don't miss time. And you had the best example of all time maybe here where a thumb pops out of his hand and he's winning games the next week and it's not open-heart surgery and the coach isn't even really playing it up, which may be a different topic for a different day. But have you reassessed anything with Mac Jones durability-wise, or I will throw in there, just playing-wise, the turnovers and maybe the decisions that he's made over this short span? The durability thing I really don't put on him, and that may be unfair to the guys protecting him. But I look at not only the guys protecting him, but the guy coaching the guys protecting him, and I say, you know, because, Andy, if we had in March, right, and I remember talking to people around the league at the Combine about this move that it seemed like the Patriots were making, where Matt Patricia was going to be the play caller and Joe Judge was going to be coaching the quarterbacks. If in March we had this conversation we sat here and we said, well, what's the worst-case scenario, right, for the Patriots' offense? Well, worst-case scenario would be, I don't know, Mac Jones is injured and he's got, like, the worst quarterback rating in football? You mean this? (laughs) That'll never happen, right? But here we are. And not only is Mac Jones injured, but your, your backup's injured too. And one of them was on, I think, maybe the coaching in that the Dolphins bring an all-out blitz. They have Nelson Aguilar as part of the pass protection plan, and Mac Jones gets high load and hurts his back. The high ankle, I think, is probably harder to avoid because that one just felt like somebody got beat in your protection and your quarterback got hurt. But then, you know, what is Isaiah Wynn doing on the play where Brian Hoyer gets concussed? where he's walking inside, it, it looks like it's pretty clear who's supposed to have who there, and he just, it wasn't just that he got beat. We've seen that happen to him too. It was that he wasn't even he wasn't even fully paying attention to the guy he was supposed to be blocking. So who's that on? I, obviously it's on win, but 
haven't we seen enough in the way of mental screw-ups from that particular player that you start to look at the coaching staff and say, well, when are you going to tell, either tell this guy what he needs to do differently or get him off the field in favor of somebody else? I, I, can't, I can't sit here and put the durability thing on, on Mac just yet based on the injuries that he's suffered and based on the situation that we know that's happening offensively. In terms of his actual play, I think there's a real push-pull happening here in terms of what they're asking him to do maybe what he's comfortable doing, the results that we're seeing from this. And I think there's been some context lacking from both Tony Romo on the game broadcast the other day and Mike Lombardi, who's a friend of our Patriots Talk podcast and does a lot of really interesting, well-listened-to work in these parts because we know what his relationship is with Bill Belichick. But the context that's lacking in both of those cases when – those two say things like, well, this offense isn't as bad as you think it is. They're just turning the ball over. And who's that on? You know, essentially. Lombardi put it in plainer terms, really put it at max feet. You can't have the positives of this offense, which are they're creating explosive plays. Mac Jones through three weeks was leading the league in 20-plus yard yards. Does that make sense? Leading the league in 20-plus yard passing yards. So balls that travel 20 yards. I gotcha, I gotcha. Good grief. I hyped you up pretty high. That there were, the we're... You know, the numbers are hard for me. It's the math, really, that gets me in this job. Anyway, you can't sit here and say, well, that stuff's all working. What's up with these turnovers? Because the turnovers are a byproduct of what you're doing with the offense, which is pushing the ball down the field, throwing 50-50 balls to cover guys. Mac Jones has told us. It's a little bit different philosophy this year, but it's something we have to do, which, honestly, I kind of agree with, and I'm okay with the interceptions. They're not, obviously, or Mike Lombardi's not. And I, I, I'm interested to see if they continue to push with this offense because I think it might be a mistake to say, oh, we're throwing too many turnovers. We got we to gotta dial it back. I would say continue to be aggressive because if you're not, you become way too easy to defend. And I'd rather be closer to no risk it, no biscuit than dink and dunk and try to win games with 18 play drives. I just don't think you can do that in the league anymore. So I don't think he's regressed. I think the results are not so hot because they're asking him to do something that is, by its nature, risky and leading to turnovers. He's Phil Perry, and uh, some people call him the senator. So appropriately, we just did a State of the Patriots after four games, and I hyped you up as the best in the business, and uh, I think you delivered for this uh, Six Rings podcast interview. Aside from the math. Yeah, I really tailed off at the end there. But for the most part, I thought there were strong opinions, strong insight, and uh, we appreciate your first appearance, and I hope you'll consider uh, joining us again on one of these uh, Wednesday midweek Foxborough visits for the Six Rings podcast. And I would urge everyone to check out all of Phil's work, whether it be NBCSportsBoston.com, NBC Sports Boston on your cable or satellite provider, uh, the Patriots Talk podcast, Next Pats podcast, all the various outlets where you can get Phil and his handsome face telling you everything you need to know about the Patriots. This has been another Six Rings podcast. Please subscribe. Please download the Odyssey app. Rate us. And if you need to, complain about Fitzy.